Island Shakespeare Festival's Shakespeare Playground presents Tales from the Vomitory. 38 short stories by Scott Kaiser. At Island Shakespeare Festival, our mission is to provide accessible classical theater realized for a contemporary audience. Tales from the Vomitorium is presented with special permission from Scott Kaiser and is made possible in part by support from our sponsors, the Goose Community Grocer, Goosefoot Community Fund, and Whitby Telecom. Learn more at islandshakespearefest.org. Partners by Scott Kaiser Read by Lexi Chipman Maggie and Sufyan were back in their rental car, heading for Turlock, the next destination on their two-month-long Shakespeare in the Schools tour. So, how do you sleep? Sufyan asked. Good, good, replied Maggie. You? Very well, thanks, said Sufyan. There was a long pause, a two hundred mile long pause, with Adele playing on satellite radio. So, asked Maggie. What? Sufyan replied. You're not going to get weird about this, are you? Weird about what? About last night? Last night was... Fun, said Sufyan. It was, Maggie agreed. I mean, it was nice, said Sufyan. Very nice, yes, sighed Maggie. But I'm just not sure... Yes, what? I'm just not sure if we should do it again. Suggested Sufyan. I see, said Maggie. Because you have a husband, said Sufyan. And you have a wife, replied Maggie. Yes. And you know, it might start to get in the way of the work. Our work as a team, yes and affect our professional relationship, you know? Yes, I know, I get it. So maybe we shouldn't, Suvian suggested gently. I'm fine with that, if you are, agreed Maggie softly. Okay, good, Sufyan concurred. Good, I'm glad we talked about that. Another two hundred mile long pause. More Adele. Gee, I don't like the look of that sky. Do you? said Sufyan. Yes, I see what you're saying. Me neither. Maggie agreed. Maybe we should pull over early and get a hotel. 
Yes, I think that's a good idea. They both smiled. The sky was bright blue without a cloud to be seen. So the world of this story was really fun for me because my first professional acting gig outside of college was actually a touring educational Shakespeare show. Uh, it was actually two shows. We toured Romeo and Juliet and Taming of the Shrew at the same time with the same six actors. And we would all pile in this big white van with our set and our luggage and ourselves and go do Shakespeare for children early in the morning and uh, I did get really lucky because one of the other people who got cast in the tour was my best friend and roommate at the time so we just spent literally a hundred percent of our time together <laughs> which was amazing actually we had a really good time and uh, one of my favorite things that she did while we were on tour was she named our van Wu-Tang and uh Apparently, we learned later that the Shakespeare Company had already named the van Elizabeth, which is a more appropriate name for a Shakespeare van. But uh, then we just called it Elizabeth Wu-Tang, and I think that's better. But um, don't tell them that. <laughs> Anyways, and uh, I also got lucky because the I was playing Juliet in the Romeo and Juliet, and my Romeo... And I had gone to school together for the last four years before that. And so we had already known each other really well. And his girlfriend was one of my best friends um, and still is to this day. And um, yeah, the most wild. So no funny business um, off stage, <laughs> unlike the story. And uh, the most I was going to say the most wild thing I think we all did was we would pile into one of our hotel rooms while we were on tour, all six of us, and we would drink a little too much beer and play this one board game called Betrayal at the House on the Hill. And uh, it's this like scary, haunted, ghosts and supernatural stuff board game. And we just had a lot of fun. And uh, I did get a lot of teenage boys trying to date me over that tour. They would uh, offer me their Snapchats or ask for mine, which is apparently the new Can I Have Your Number? And I find that disturbing. And I did not take them up on that offer. And uh, what's funny is I actually ended up doing another touring production of Romeo and Juliet and played Juliet again in an all-female, non-binary cast. And we didn't tour in a way where we had to stay in hotels or anything. It was more local. But I didn't have a car, and my Romeo in that production did and so we would carpool everywhere together and became pretty good friends and um in the meantime my educational tour Romeo and his girlfriend had broken up and I was still good friends with her and uh fast forward so we do I do this other production of Romeo and Juliet for adults and that ends and then move on with my life and then I found out that the those two Romeos ended up dating so, you know, <laughs> life is funny. And, um, yeah, I had a really good time just returning to this world 
It is a strange life, tour life, but I highly recommend it to anyone who wants to experience it, even if things don't happen like they did in this story. The Goosefoot Community Fund. Goosefoot works together with the South Whidbey community to create essential solutions. We address community needs, connect neighbors, grow local businesses, and preserve great places. Learn more at goosefoot.org. Thank you so much for listening to Tales from the Vomitorium, 38 short stories by Scott Kaiser. Today, Scott is with us to talk about the story Partners. Scott, welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be here again. Thank you so much for joining us today, joining me. <laughs> me and our listeners. Um, Partners is such a beautiful story and relates to Henry VI, part two, which I have never seen. <laughs> you and most people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can you first um, start off by telling us a little bit about what inspired this story for you? Well, um, going through all of these 38 plays, you know, the Henrys were always uh, a worry for me, uh, as the histories were uh, more challenging in terms of writing these stories, and the Henry Sixes in particular, because um, they're so dense and not particularly well known, and drawing a theme uh, out of the Henry Sixes is, is always a little more challenging, I think. Um I uh, I worked on the Henry Sixes at Oregon Shakespeare in 2004 um, when I was the uh, co-director and adapter. So I, I know the plays very well. At that time, we combined the shows, the three plays, uh, the three Henry Six plays into two shows. Um, the first one was called uh, Talbot and Joan, and that was uh, basically Henry Six Part One. And it was done inside uh, what at that time was the new theater. Um, and then the second part was called um, Henry and Margaret. Um, and that was done in the Elizabethan uh, theater. And that combined parts two and three outdoors. Um, so I got to know the shows uh, very, very well by adapting them and then co-directing them. Um, the the thing about Henry um, the Sixth Part Two that interests me the most was this relationship between Margaret and uh, a Queen Margaret and the Duke of uh, Suffolk, um, who were lovers until uh, the Duke of Suffolk is uh, um, banished from England and uh, um, captured by pirates on the high seas, and then uh, has his head cut off by a pirate. Um, the Head is then sent back to London, where the Queen has a scene where she receives the head and mourns over the head. Um, you know, this is classic Henry VI <laughs> blotting. Um, but uh, the idea that these, you know, these uh, um, illicit uh, love affair uh, among um, a royal queen and a duke um, is the thing that stuck with me as I started to write this story. Um, you know, it was not a relationship that was, uh, you know, it was an affair. It was not a sanctioned relationship, but a deep uh, relationship uh, nonetheless. So that was the jump off point for uh, for this particular story. So uh, obviously Maggie is the equivalent of my Queen Margaret and uh, uh, Sufyan is my Duke of Suffolk. Yeah, definitely. Um it, it the I I can't help but um 
but wonder if uh, this is the circumstances for the story come from uh, the OSF school tour kind of program and, and people with the, maybe you can talk a little bit about the OSF school program and um, what those, um, how that kind of worked and putting two people together and going on tour for, for a number of weeks, spending lots of time together. Is that sort of where this, these circumstances come from? Very much so. Um, And again, I won't name names, but, uh, you know, I think uh, that over the years, um, I was aware, and I'm sure you have been aware that, uh, that, um, you know, going out on a school visit program tour um, can be very lonely and very demanding. And um, there have been many, I think, uh, physical relationships that that started um, as a result of being on the road 24-7 on a, on a school visit tour. Um, so this story is based very much on those, um, those rumors um, uh, of those things going on. It's completely understandable. Um, uh, I, I certainly know of uh, pairs where one or the other or both um, partners were either in long-term relationships or even married, um, where um, physical relationships did uh, take place on tour. Um, and so um, that's very much where the story comes from. It, it, it is very much based in the school visit program. Um, and just to say a little bit about that program, um, you know, Oregon Shakespeare has and has had for a very long time one of the largest uh, education programs in the country. And one of the ways they have created this um, successful education program was through the school visit program, where uh, pairs of actors uh, rehearse Shakespeare scenes and contemporary scenes as well. And they go out on the road in a rented car, uh, visiting schools up and down the I-5 corridor. Um, And uh, those tours can go between, you know, anywhere between six and eight weeks um, visiting um, uh, towns that are both wealthy and extremely poor um, uh, within the span of uh, a couple of days. So it is very challenging. You're eating in restaurants, you're staying in motels, you're in a rental car, uh, and you're on your own, just the just the two of you. Um, it, um, it It's not always as the story, uh, you know, a heterosexual uh, partners. Um, there are any mixture of, of partners go out on the road. Um, I just happened to write this as a heterosexual story um, because those are the rumors that, that I remember hearing. Um, but uh, um, this is uh, this is very much rooted in um, the reality of, of the school visit program and, and the challenges of spending, spending that much time um, with, uh, with uh, a partner. Well, and I'm sure doing doing romantic scenes together, if it's a, you know, if you're sharing scenes with a school, very often there's Romeo and Juliet stuff or one, some, something romantic involved as well. And it's when you're only seeing that other person, I'm, I'm sure that that can be challenging over months. I, I, of course, I, there's nothing in my life that is anything like that, but I'm, I'll take your word for that. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you may. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Of course, uh, uh, you know, that is one of the ongoing issues of, of being an actor is um, how, especially in romantic roles where you can, of course, you know, um, find yourself um, acquiring a crush on your uh, on your romantic lead. I mean, especially when you're young, that's that's uh, that's very common. Uh, those crushes develop and they need to be managed. And sometimes they actually, you know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, you can probably name a dozen people whose relationship started um, with two actors playing opposite each one, each other in a room in romantic leads. It's actually very common for people to end up in relationships (laughs) and even get married. Very, very common as as you at OSF have seen happen with, uh, more than one pair of Romeo and Juliet's. <laughs> it, 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 exactly, yes. Many of our <laughs> R&Js have, in fact, ended up in relationships and, and gotten married. Yeah. Um, switching gears a little bit, uh, let's talk about a, a little bit more about your experience working on um, adapting and co-directing this trilogy of, of Henry's. Um, can you share any... Because it's a it's a kind of a lesser lesser produced and lesser known um, series of Shakespeare's histories. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what is special about these three plays? And of course, we'll get into uh, later, later in our series, we'll get into uh, parts one and parts three in a little more depth, but um, working on adapting those as a whole, can you talk a little bit about that experience? Oh, I'd love to. Um, you, you know, when people first encounter the Henry Sixes, they're, they're really, uh, it, it seems like a daunting uh, thing to take them on, to read the three plays, to really absorb the history involved. Um, but uh, it, they're really incredibly rewarding plays to, to work on, especially if you work on them in sequence or all at once. Um, and, you know, because it's a trilogy, the, the, the best um, way to describe the, the scope of the the plays is to really think about them as watching uh, Lord of the Rings or watching the Star Wars uh, tr- uh, trilogies that um, you get a real um, uh, you get a real broad view of a, of a massive story that takes place in many different locations with many different characters, many different arcs, uh, fitted into a historical context where where power is being fought over, uh, where injustices are being uh, um, uh, fought against um, the you know the the scope of these stories is just is just so rewarding when you immerse yourself in them um, and so my my um, my word of encouragement for people who are put off by the Henry Sixes is just dive in um, and uh, and enjoy them it's true you have to you have to acquire a certain amount of history as you go along but it's no harder than than really watching Lord of the Rings you know and being disoriented for for a while until you figure out what a hobbit is and what a you know what the elves are and you know where uh, what where the wizards live and you, you have to acquire that as you go along um, it's like any great story you have to acquire the you know the the the, the background information you need but once you do that it, it is so deep and, and rewarding well well worth the time um, as a adapter it was a real challenge because you're looking at adapting three plays into two for me 
um, you're talking about something like at least nine hours of stage time, if not 10, 11, 12, depending on how you count it. All three of these plays are, are massive. And I was asked to get those plays down to um, about five hours over two different um, shows. And reducing these plays, boiling them down is a real challenge. Um, there are many other people who have done it, um, who have boiled these plays down to an evening or two evenings. Um, so it's not something that uh, that is um, unusual, but uh, um, everybody has their own way of doing it, and everybody has their own decisions about which characters, which story events, um, which uh, um, which arcs get thrown out and which get kept. Um, so making those hard decisions took me months and months and months of reviewing the plays, reading them and rereading them, uh, looking at videos, uh, um, and quite frankly, reading other adaptations to see which ones I liked and which ones I didn't. Um, and, and making really hard decisions about what should be kept and what had to go. Um, yeah. Was there any, uh, specific guidance that you had in terms of what, um, were the goals for, uh, the themes that this would investigate or like, how did you make those decisions as to what you would keep and what would go? I was given no guidelines other than time and numbers. Um, I knew that the uh, you know outdoor shows should end at around three hours tops, so that's that was the goal there. And um, you know the numbers normally for an outdoor show at, at OSF is eighteen to twenty two. Let's say um, anything over twenty starts to become unwieldy. I can't remember the cast was enormous; it probably was twenty four or something like that. Um, indoors at the time, um, really keeping to two, two and a half. I, and I think this play ran at two and a half, something like that. Uh, that was Henry VI part one. I came up with the framing devices of Talbot and Joan because that was the main power structure uh, of Henry VI one, um, Lord Talbot and Joan of Arc. And uh, that's where the main battle lines are drawn between the French and the English. Um, and um, in Henry VI II and Henry VI III, um, it, the conflict between um, <clears throat> uh, King Henry and, and Queen um, Margaret was a, a major through line for parts two and three. So that's why I hung my uh, hat on that as well. Was there anything uh, in the in the actual producing of it that you you were like, oh, I really wish we'd kept that in or um, really wish we'd cut it? The most criticism that I received was cutting the Jack Cade subplot. It it went entirely. Um, and the reason it went entirely is because it was a very easy um, uh, block of, of cuts that you can make without interfering with the arcs of the royals. Um, you can just lift him up and all those rebellion scenes, lift them out wholesale, and they don't interfere with the, um, for the most part, with the arcs of the royals. So as much as I wanted to keep Jack Cade and Cade's rebellion, um, it was a very easy thing to pull out. And that's frankly where I started. Um, a lot of criticism from people who knew the play, people who didn't know the plays, they had nothing to say about it because they didn't miss it. Um, but from people who knew the plays, they they felt that I had cut too heavily. Um, but it was, in my mind, an all or nothing, and I decided to go with all. Sure. Well, and I mean, you're cutting three plays into two 
and more than half of the text of those three, how can how can it not be heavy cutting? Like that's that's the task at hand. So yes, it, it needed to go. Um, part of the criticism was that that I had cut. Um, I had made it all about the royals and the elites, and that I cut um, all the peasants out of the play. Hmm. Looking looking back on it, do you feel like there's an option to do it the other way? <laughs> cut out a lot of the elites and and investigate more of the peasant stories. I I, I would love to get it reinstated. I, I forgot to say that one of my. Um, um, limitations in the new theater, uh, now the Thomas, was that there was only dressing space for 12. Um, and uh, at the time, that was the limit. They have since changed that limit because they created these rolling dressing spaces that come in and out of the rooms. And uh, and uh, they have actually cordoned off the green room to allow more people but at the time, I was strictly told no more than 12. And so um, another reason why I got rid of um, Cave's Rebellion is I literally couldn't stage it uh, with, you know, in my mind, with uh, with only the 12 actors I could get into that space, um, into the dressing spaces. So oddly, it wasn't just time. It was also the number of actors. I was limited by that. Yeah, definitely. That's a That's a really big one that I think a lot of people don't don't consider so much. And that's a huge um, factor for us too. And we're, um, you know, cause any, any Shakespeare play we produce is cut somehow, you know, um, I don't think we've done the full, full text of anything. Much Ado was pretty close. We didn't cut a lot of that, but um, you know, that's always part of it is how does the doubling work and how do we get this down to the smallest cast possible? um for to to fill and fit with the other two plays it's all of those matrices or matrices are um hard to consider and are not often considered by the audience coming to see them i i i agree people go to to osf and they see um the stage full of actors and and um and of course they don't often do the math that if you're working with a cast of 24 and people come in and go as soldiers and messengers and letter carriers and peasants and, and, um, and Royals that you've got to not only, um, you know, pay those 24 actors, but you've got to costume them. So take the 24 actors and then you multiply them all by five costumes. And now you're running over a hundred costumes. Um, and it gets pricey. Yep. Yep. It does. <laughs> yeah. Uh any any final thoughts that you would like to share about uh this story or this play in particular? Nothing I can think of, no. All right. Well, thank you so much once again. Thank you, Alina. We look forward to talking to you again next week. I look forward to it as well. Thank you for listening to Tales from the Vomitorium, 38 Short Stories by Scott Kaiser. Sound design and composition by Orion Schwalm. This episode was sponsored in part by the Goose Community Grocer, Goosefoot Community Fund, Whidbey Telecom, and by our listeners. Support us and learn more at islandshakespearefest.org.